You know, nothing drives me crazier than having things that I'm super excited about and super passionate about going on pause, especially if there's no real good reason for it. If it's just, you know, because there's some kind of screw up in the system or, you know, people are taking their time. But you know what? That's just part of life. And more importantly, it's part of the business world. So one of the things that I hear from people all over the business world is just that intense, agonizing pressure people feel when they're trying to take something from the idea phase to the execution phase and how so much passion and and creativity and integrity just gets put on hold because of the system. And you know what? I know it's tough. It doesn't feel good. And it's something that we do have to deal with and deal with it in a great way, a smart way, in an intelligent and consistent way. So today we've got a guest who's going to be able to speak to that. That's Carlos Ramirez from Fascination Street Films and also from the music website No Echo. He's got a great story about the perseverance that's required to really push things through in the increasingly complex world of TV and film. And also we're going to contrast that against the instant gratification he has from being able to publish things on his own music website called No Echo, which has like very, become a very significant site. This is a very, very cool episode, so tuck in and get ready for another episode of One Step Beyond. All right, everyone, welcome back. Like I said in our intro, we are talking about the eternal struggle, moving things from the idea phase to execution. Now, I always laugh in this kind of conversation because if you come from the world where I and our guests today uh, come from, you know, the punk scene, idea and execution are like the same thing. You know, it's like, I've got an idea, I'm going to do it right now. When you step out of that, you know, and so very often when punks end up working in the, in the normal world, we usually are like flabbergasted, like, what do you mean? <laughs> Why is this so hard to get going? So this is going to be a really cool conversation. Um, what we're going to talk about very specifically is Carlos's experience in the TV industry and like those real challenges with moving from idea to execution. But we're going to contrast that with his passion project, which is this incredible music website called No Echo. So, Carlos, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. The first thing I think of when you brought up television versus uh, the website, one of them is crippled by red tape and the big moving an elephant and how slowly that moves where that's the television side. And then the no echo side or the punk side is one person with no resources, but somehow making it happen. And why I wish the one on the left, the television world would be way more uh, open to that kind of DIY less is more kind of approach in terms of making something happen. It takes way too long for things to happen on the television side. And that could be movies, anything where you're talking about multi-million dollars for one thing to happen. Well, and I feel like you've opened up the conversation perfectly. So before we get too far ahead of ourselves, for our audience, anyone from the punk scene knows exactly who you are and what you've done. But anyone not from that scene is going to want to know a bit about both, you know, a bit about uh, how you came up, where you grew up, what you're involved in, and then what you're doing now. So tell us a bit about who you are and what you do. I was born and raised in New York City. I lived there till I was 31. So that was in 2006. Moved to Los Angeles with my future wife. We've been here ever since. My obsession with music started very young, probably before I was even five years old. It started with Kiss and the Bee Gees. This was the late 70s. And really, Kiss launched that kind of obsessive side of my brain where. They had so much ephemera around them. There was a lot to digest. It was beyond music. And probably because I was so young, the music was almost secondary to the visual aspect of it. 
as I got mm -hmm. a little bit older, then it became more about music. And then it, the floodgates opened every kind of style of music that I was being exposed to. I was eating up and I no noticed that I was way more into it than most of the kids I knew. Although I did find a couple that were close to it, if not equaling my obsession. Um, that years later became let's, or let me start a zine because I was learning about so much cool music through zines. Now I know no echo is a hardcore website and, or mostly driven around hardcore, but, uh, my, I would say that I, as a kid in the eighties, I would call myself a metalhead back then because mm -hmm. that was what I outwardly looked like, even though I was into all these other kinds of music. Um, but I was learning a lot about underground music through zines in the late 80s. So I wanted to do my own zine. It was also a way for me to start making contacts, friends throughout the world and through the tape trading scene. It's interesting to this day, there are people that I met when I was 13, 14, 15 that lived in Sweden and Richmond, uh, Virginia in, in Canada, who I met through the zine trading advertising trading uh, their demo for me to review it, you know, coverage, that sort of thing. Learning how to put the zine together, very trial and error, of course, started this thing in me where I love the idea of I can do something on my own and have people read it in this case. And I don't have to ask anyone for any permission. The idea of, of someone at, you know, 15, 16 years old, getting a writing gig for one of the magazines I read, whether it was Thrasher or Metal Maniacs or Metal Hammer, wasn't going to happen. Mm. So fuck it. I'll do it on my own. Yeah. And I've always had this ability to, to reach the right people when it mattered. So for the zine, I made contacts with people who got the word out on their own. And that really helped get the word out. So yeah. I I had that bug ever since I was a teenager, the the zine thing, writing about music, sharing what I'm into, uh, helping bands maybe that I'm not that into, but helping mm -hmm. get the word out about those bands. And I think, you know, one of the the things that I got out of it, like I said before, was making these these friends. Let's say contact sounds so cold. Friends, acquaintances, some have become really close to me. Some were my wedding party. So it's, it's, that's where it began, really. The, the, I was so obsessed with, with music that reading zines was feeding that and seeing how kind of rough and tumble zines looked made me think, I could do that. It doesn't look glossy. It's not full color. And it's stapled together. I could do this. And really, no echo is still that because it was started for that reason to get the word out about music that I was passionate about with my partner who has since moved on, doesn't want, didn't want to do the site anymore, but I continued it. So that's where it started. I think that you have to really be obsessed with it to put the time into it. Mm -hmm. I can't see myself starting a site like no echo about, um, you know, a topic that I'm, I'm into, but not that into, mm -hmm. it has to be 100% obsession for, for someone to, to put the amount of time I put into the site without getting paid. Yeah. I, I wanted to say like, no echo is, it's such an interesting story. Cause like suddenly there was no echo. Like it, it was like, it seemed like it was just this, like suddenly took up a really important space in like the punk underground culture. And I know it didn't just happen overnight, but it felt like it did. And now people are like, oh, it's like the go-to music site for everything underground, which is super cool. And the thing that I love about it, it's maintained its accessibility. Like young people like write for you and like newer kids are a part of it. It doesn't have this kind of like unreachable ivory tower like, oh, you know, I'll never be able to be a part of that. So it still has that like zine done by the kid down your street kind of feel, but it's a become essentially like a major music website for the underground having people contribute and having it open 
anyone who wants to contribute contributes. I, I've never said no to anyone is really it. Well, selfishly, it, it helps me because that means it's, there's less burden on me trying to come up <laughs> to find time to do it. Even though yeah, yeah. when they do contribute, I still have to put it into the system, edit it, and lay it out and all that, but it still helps. So it, one, it's helped, but two, more importantly, it is having different voices because they can speak to things that I'm not uh, that well versed on. Mm. I don't care who you are, and I and I know people that are hardcore, um, lifelong hardcore fans, like I pretty much I am, and who are I'm 45 people that are older than me, and I know people that are into hardcore that are teenagers through the website, and I've yet to meet someone who is completely on top of everything that comes out. It's impossible, especially now with Bandcamp. You can record Bandcamp today. I can start a band with you today and have it up tomorrow and have a graphic up and all of a sudden people are talking about us. So, mm. you know, you can't stay on top of it completely. There are people who are really good at that, but, eat, but there's not one person or I haven't met anyone who's completely just knows everything. It's impossible. Yeah. So having people come out or come to to, to me and, and, and ask me to contribute is great. Often they're younger. Often they're from places uh, around the world that I, I, you know, have micro kind of scenes compared to the US and Canada and, and, and maybe uh, places like Sweden. I'm talking about like Bulgaria or something like that. Having people from those scenes write is unbelievable to me in this day and age that you could do that. Where if it was a zine, Back in 1991, 1990, I'd have to wait for the letter to come through. You know, if it's coming internationally, is it going to get there? What if I put a tape in there and, you know, someone's going to steal the package? You could email me from anywhere in the world within a second. I'm going to see that email and say, yeah, let's, let's have you write for us. It's exciting. I'm not jaded by that yet. Yet. Well, man, it's, it's so cool. Like the accessibility is what really stands out to me about no echo. And I, and you know, I'm, this is not to take away from any other music website, but for me, hardcore, um, very specifically hardcore has been about that accessibility of people being able to, to do something and just be like, yeah, let's do this thing. And suddenly there's like, people are like, okay, cool. Let me help you. Let me help you, you know, boost your voice, do this thing. Uh, we were just talking about before we started recording that newer band reaching out. Mm -hmm. And I love that it's like these are younger people put out a demo and you see it getting like bounced by like Mike Judge is like, you know, boosting it, you know, like no echoes boosting it. Like everyone's boosting this. And these are just some kids with their local friends decide to start a band. That is part of the essence that I love about hardcore. I love about no echo because it's just such got such the, the zine down the street while it's like a major music source for people. And it's so, it speaks so much to your approach of just being like, oh, if I want to do something, do it. Which then, of course, brings us to this idea of starting an idea and then getting it to the execution phase. So from youth, you were able to just be like, hey, yeah, I want to do this thing. You're part of a scene where there's clear examples of, oh, if you want to do something, do it. So you learn that. Yes. However, professionally, you've had a different experience. But before we get to that, let's talk about Fascination Street Films. So your company, uh, Fascination Street, develops ideas for the film and TV industry. So what's the creative process like with that? It's, well, we say company. It's really just two people. It's me, one other person, my, my hey, partner. That's a, that's a company, man. Okay, well, it's uh, my partner, uh, Nasser. We, we met working at Fuse, the cable network. And it was a time at the company where there was a merger and it was just topsy-turvy people, there was a New York office and the LA office and a lot of friction there. Classic case of um, management not communicating what the, what the plan was. Instead of just sitting around, which we did for a while, fig, what are we doing here? We came up with the idea of making short form video around emerging artists of different genres, which Fuse, a music channel, wasn't doing. Imagine that. So uh, we, uh, I went into, it's back to DIY. Instead of waiting for the Fuse music relations or industry relations person, which is some high paid person at, at these companies who deals with the record labels and the publicists and all that, which I think is a lot of nonsense. I, I know how to, I, I already have relationships with a lot of these people. And if I didn't, I can just email them myself. No big deal. 
hey, I'm from Fuse. I want to cover your artists. Can we figure out a way when they're in LA to have a few hours with them? And this is what I think we can do with them. Most of the time, the manager or the publicist is going to say, yes, of course, why not? And that caused problems at Fuse because that, that person was saying, well, you're going around me and you're, and my answer was, well, I tried to ask you for help and you were never responsive to me. You, you treated my, you know, my, you treated me like I, what I was trying to do, short form video content wasn't either interesting to you or not big enough because he was used to doing these interviews with, you know, uh, setting up interviews with Taylor Swift or whatever, or having a performance thing happen at the, the studio that they had in New York. I wanted to do features, little, not features, but short form vignettes on some of these emerging artists. You know, the artists that he doesn't care about yet because they're not selling records. So uh, it caused a lot of friction. Long story short, uh, they let us do it and he, he wasn't happy about it. Anyway, we continued, we, we started a series of short form video that ran on the network and ran on their, 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 all their properties. And it was fun. It was great. Uh, I did one to bring it back to hardcore. I did one on Toby Morse, where we hung out with him for the day as a kind of a punk rock dad, what, what that meant, and with his son, and driving him to school, and then picking, up from, picking him up from school, and then how do they hang out? How do they interact? What does it mean to be a traveling, touring musician in a hardcore level band where you're not a millionaire, but still being a dad? Things like that. And that was fun to do. And we, my partner, we, we really gelled on that, even though he's not from this world, he doesn't know anything about hardcore. Mm -hmm. He was used to coming because he came from television where it was, everything is slow and you have to go through protocol and you have to ask this person for permission and blah, blah, blah. And then he saw what I was doing, just like doing it myself. He got off on that. Like, oh, wow. At first he was nervous. Like, well, we can't do that. And when he saw that it was working and we're actually, here we are filming. We're filming tomorrow with another artist. He got really, really inspired. And it was his first time seeing DIY in true action. Mm -hmm. So we, we got along really great and we started doing um, our own video. Um, you know, we started pitching companies to do short form content, commercials, you know, uh, stingers, things like that. All video. We did a music video for for Ice T's Body Count for his band Body Count, a music video. You know, so anything video related, we 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 were you know, it's just the two of us. We can do it all from ideation to the edit. We can do it all because my partner is a director, a editor, everything. You know, he's worked for all sorts of different uh, people, and I'm the the idea person and the connection person, and and I know people in the in different industries I can reach out to. So we started doing that. We got a deal with a bigger production company who does a lot of television work, who, who liked what we were doing, and we, they gave us a deal. So the easiest way to explain that is we, we pitched them TV ideas. Uh, everything is unscripted, doc kind of ideas. That could be a documentary series on a true crime story, or that could be some kind of uh, archival-heavy anthology series on, let's say, the Mafia, for example, uh, anything like that to a game show, anything unscripted we, we, mm -hmm. we come up with. And if they like the idea, then we go out and pitch it. If idea gets sold, then we get our percentage and we work on the series. So that is the, the road to, to Fascination Street. It's just the two of us. We're both big time music uh, heads, but he's not from the hardcore world. So he's not used to just reaching out to people directly. And, and getting a, a yes or a no, some kind of response. He's mm -hmm. not used to that. So it goes back to okay. DIY and hardcore and what I learned from it. Just, you know what? You, you just have to do it yourself. All right. So I, I got to hit on this, man, because it's so interesting to me. Really, if we're thinking about moving from idea to execution, I want to like just go right into this space about the TV industry and really specifically, like when I think about my career, I don't want to go too far into it, but. When I started uh, as a therapist and working in the not-for-profit section, coming out of playing in punk bands and actually doing both concurrently at the same time, I was like always flabbergasted by how many layers and how many people and how many things we had to do to get anything done. So we're talking typically pretty small not-for-profits, but of course part of a bigger government system in uh, British Columbia. But it was always like near nightmarish to get anything done. But we also didn't have a lot of money. 
interesting, it sounds like from an interesting perspective, it sounds like the TV industry, at least from the outside, seems like it has a lot of resources, seems like to have a lot of money. But what's it like going from like the idea stage to the execution stage in that world? Uh, it's gotten to the point where, unfortunately, it has scarred, scarred us, where we'll come up with something that we're excited about, but then we start thinking about the nose. It won't go. It's too too small of an audience. It's uh, people won't, a network executive won't buy it because advertisers won't advertise during broadcast because of the the topic that's that's being covered in said show. So, in, in the creative kind of side of it, it is it's it's hindered us. It's hindered or hindered our creativity because we're thinking already of the no's that are going to come because of something, which is not the way to do it. Um, this is how it usually works. You, we, let's say we, we come up with a concept, we put the materials together, the, the deck, uh, really fancy schmancy looking, and we, we, we write a treatment for it. If the company that we have a deal with right now like it, then we go to the agent, which in our case is CAA. And the agent then says, okay, I think this could work. Let's, let's, let's see, let's set up some pitches with some networks. Um, the problem a lot of times is now that networks don't even want to hear a pitch unless there's some kind of celebrity component involved in EP. And a lot of times that just means, you know, a, a celebrity putting their name on it and not really doing much. Hmm. So there is a lot of, uh, kind of committee people weighing in and it, it takes away from the, the, the energy of it because, hmm. We'll get it all set up on our site. We'll make a really cool a sizzle, which for people who don't know what a sizzle is, it's basically a trailer for something that doesn't exist yet. Uh, sometimes I've seen sizzles where production companies will actually film an actual sizzle with their own footage. You know, they have a lot of money to work with. Our sizzles are from found footage and graphics that we create. But we, we pride ourselves on making really great sizzles kind of sizzles that people watch and go, whoa, is this on the air yet? Or why isn't this on the air yet? Um, when, you're, when you start getting to the, the point where the agent is going out to networks, it is so slow moving. A network could say, okay, let's take the pitch. We pitch them. And then there's this waiting period where they don't just say no or yes. They, they are interested. When I hear interested, it used to be really exciting. Like, oh, they're interested. Now, interesting to me means you're wasting our time. Tell us. Are you 80% there or are you 40% there? You're never going to get it, though. They're never going to tell you that. It's almost like they're hedging their bets in a way, but it's, it's really slow moving. And when I mean slow moving, months. And in those months, you're not getting any money from that. So unless you have some kind of deal where you're getting you know, a retainer fee, good luck. Good luck uh, making a living. So, or if you work for a production company and you're on staff at the production company and part of your job is to do what we're doing. For example, my wife used to work in a production company where she was developing like we were or are and then selling. And, you know, she, she was on, on salary. She was on staff there. So she wasn't getting a percentage of the sale once it went on the air, but she was making a, a good living working at, at, the, at the company. So we're the opposite. We're, we're, we have a fee that we make every month, blah, blah, blah. But the, the real money would be if we sell the show and then we get our cut. Uh, the, the biggest, biggest setback to that world or this world will be, for me, if I have to answer right now, would be the waiting around. It is mm. brutal. Waiting around and then sometimes you'll get okay, we're, let's meet again. And then it's another meeting, another, well, how about this? What do you, what do, what do you think about this? And it's, it's, they're giving you some feedback or they're giving you some ideas. And then it's another waiting around for months after that. So, um, you know, that, that is for someone who comes from DIY where no echo, I can wake up in the morning and be, you know, I can be on the internet and find some band I like, oh my God, this is awesome. And I can write a story and get it up on Noeco within a couple of hours or an hour. And then a couple of hours later, see that people are reading it, sharing it. The band is excited because people are talking about their band. That is so, so cool to me. Never will get old. Mm. 
the, the, the television development side is just really slow and there are too many people weighing in that shouldn't be just to justify their, their jobs. And, you know, again, yes or no, I can handle it. You know what? We love this. It's not for us. Talk to you guys soon. Come up with something or come to us again with something else because we like, we like what you're doing. It's just not the right thing, this one specific idea. But you rarely get that. It's a lot of just, yeah, we're interested. Uh, and Carlos, let me just uh, hit on something for our audience who wouldn't know this. When you say EP, you mean executive producer. Is that correct? When you watch Netflix, for example, and you, and you, you hear from executive producer so-and-so, let's say Morgan Freeman, from executive producer Morgan Freeman, blah, 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 blah. That is the executive producer who is, in, in, in that case, it's a celebrity who is lending their name to the project. It's giving that project that seal of approval. Morgan Freeman says this is legit. And that could mean that Morgan Freeman was involved from, from day one. It, may, it might have even been his idea. Rare that's the case, though, I've learned. Uh, it usually means that someone came up with it, a production company, and they approached the celebrity and said, hey, we have this idea and we would love to attach you to it. And what that does is it helps sell it because, mm-hmm. uh, like I said earlier, networks are really into that right now. And um, it helps the celebrities brand. It helps them, you know, just look cool if it's something really, you know, edgy in some cases. And honestly, it makes some money. Uh, sometimes 50% of the budget, which is oh, wow. mind-blowing um, for, for usually the least amount of work. Sometimes celebrity won't even do press for it, depending on uh, how, you know, depending on the celebrity. Okay. So I've got all sorts of questions about this because, you know, one of the things I want to, to focus the, the conversation on is there is going to be people listening to this from all sorts of industries. And so I do a lot of work. Cadence does a lot of work in the technology sector. And the story you're telling about that challenge from like idea to execution of course, it's going to be different based on industry, but I hear this everywhere where people are like, oh, God, I have this great idea and it is a nightmare to get it going. Like so-and-so's ego is upset and so-and-so likes the idea, but they want to feel like they own the idea. And so-and-so over here is being territorial about like this, this and that and all of the different things and the budget stuff. So we can say universally, this tends to be an issue, but of course, it's different for every industry. Based on your experience, both from that really cool experience you have of being able to just do something yourself on No Echo and based on your experience with uh, Fascination Street Films, where you've like it's painstaking waiting and all of that, what insights do you have on how to move something from that idea stage to the execution stage? Like what kernels of wisdom can you give us about that? Well, for on the No Echo side, it's it's consistency. People start websites, blogs, apparel, you know, I'm going to start my t-shirt company because I do graphic design and I do it for my band. And, um, and then, you know, they, they do a few designs, maybe they don't sell that well. And then they stop. If they start a blog, a website, uh, they, you know, they realize how much time it takes and the return is they're not getting that many people clicking on, on the stories or not, not enough people are talking about the, the, the articles and spreading the word on social media. Uh, same thing with a podcast. Uh, it's consistency. If you build it, they will show up eventually. <laughs> right. Okay. They will. If you're if we, no echo started in 2014. So their first couple of years, you know, slow, slow moving. And this was coming from two people who had, connections in the music industry and i worked at record labels my partner was a development um uh, you know he works still does he works on uh you know in uh developing websites and in that world so it was still a lot of trial and error and things weren't you know people weren't talking or sharing the stuff it's consistency which is something people don't want to hear sometimes Mm. they want returns immediately People start bands and they start an Instagram and they're worried more about the Instagram than the actual content, the band in, the, in that case. I see that all the time. Um, 
you have to put in a lot of work on on a project like that and be patient and i if you go on my personal social media you know on facebook or instagram or twitter i rarely talk about no echo rarely the reason is it's very deliberate one thing i hate is when i'm on facebook and i only have it for marketing reasons i guess you know for the stuff i've done and for my personal it's the way to keep in touch with people and seeing old friends right i hate when i have friends and unfortunately because it's most of my friends are somehow involved in music it's just constantly pushing their their uh band or their t-shirt or their fucking podcast i wish they would kind of be a little bit more uh, uh thoughtful about that mm-hmm. i don't mind it sprinkle it but if it's just constant barrage of that i i don't like it that's my own thing mm-hmm. so uh, and I think sometimes it's, it's desperation to get the word out about everything they're doing because they're so fired up. So I understand that. But I think that when you're speaking to the, your, your friends and family and you're just hitting them with that nonstop, it, it's just noise after a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, even myself, who I am interested in, in music and, and all these things I just mentioned, I even get like fatigued by it. So there is that desperation of getting people to listen to their podcast when it's new or, their, or look at their website. Consistency, you have to do it and update it on a regular basis. You have Mm. to treat it like a job. And when you're not getting paid to do it, people are like, fuck this. I got enough going on. Got kids. I got my my job. I I, I don't have time. All right. Well, then you're not going to have success at it. You have to really put in a lot of time for a little reward at first. Now, at first could be a month. In some cases, I've seen people blow up. I've seen podcasts blow up quickly, while others I know have been around for years and they don't really have that huge of an audience. So consistency, treating it like a job every day is the way to, to, um, to do it. Now, if you start, if you start a, a website or a podcast and, and um, you see certain things are doing better than others, I think it's totally fine to lean into that more. But I don't want, what I don't want to do is only do that because then for me, for me, it takes away the integrity of what I'm trying to do. The, the, the mission of Noaco is to get the word out about mostly hardcore because hardcore is the ghetto in, in, in underground music. Hardcore is relegated to occasional posts on metal sites. That's the closest kind of music that covers hardcore or metal websites. Mm. It's relegated to specialty uh, things or it's ex-members of so-and-so band. So they'll give them that that coverage, but they're not going to cover some band out of nowhere most of the time. Well, no echo will. If I covered mostly New York hardcore from the 90s or 80s and did those kinds of things nonstop and lists nonstop, the the traffic would be even bigger. But I don't want to do that. I'm not getting paid to do that. If you pay me, if some company pays me to do that, well, I'll do it. It's not what No Echo is about. It's not mm-hmm. just what does well. So let me just hit them with all of that. But yeah, I do listen to the audience. I do want to give them more of that. If they like that. And if something is really tanking and something is really not taking, it does make me think more about should I do that? But it doesn't ever stop me completely. For example, if we cover something that isn't that's kind of on the outskirts of that bubble of what me, of hardcore and punk and even metal is, for example, like a shoegazy type band, which a lot of younger hardcore uh, people love now, which is funny because I remember that in the '90s. I remember when like Walter and everyone was into shoegaze. Yeah. Um, so that's a thing now. Those kinds of pieces don't do as well on the site, but we still do it. Because there's enough people, I think, that, that care about it. But um, yeah, listen to the audience. It's okay to lean into that more if you want. But if you want to just do that for the audience, that's not for me. I know people do that. And I'm probably saying something that's very counter-marketing kind of uh, mindset. Um, it's just not for me. Well, but No Echo's really developed a, a brand based on that, though. Like, you play, you play to your audience, but you also, like... I mean, dude, part of why I like no echo is because you're 
like a music site for people who are actually into hardcore. Like if someone's actually into hardcore, they're going to read No Echo. Um, yeah. But let's talk about, let's talk about like more in the system though. So we talked about from like the No Echo side of it. You know, what, you know, kernels of wisdom do you have for people who are trying to move something from idea to execution in more of like a corporate structure? You have to, in my case, um, it's finding someone with more clout than you mm-hmm. who understands you, who values your creativity and understands that maybe you're not uh, so easily defined in some kind of, uh, so I, I'm re- using my wife again as an example. She started as an assistant and worked her way up to now she's VP of so-and-so and so-and-so title at a you know, cable network. Mm-hmm. I think that still is the best way to go about things. And that's the way I hope my kids go. It's just way, way easier because usually hard work pays off. You'll be rewarded. So like work, work your way up. Work your way up in the traditional sense from mm-hmm. the desk of, uh, if you, let's say television or even music, you start off at the desk and you work your way up. I think that's still still the most valued most i think do those people start apple no mm-hmm. but there's a lot of i think there's a lot of romanticism around that too though mm-hmm. oh so and so didn't do it that way so i i don't want to ever come off like you know starting from the bottom and then working up to vp or or, or ceo is is not a great thing i think that is way easier than the route i've taken the route i've taken has been <laughs> a lot of heartbreak a lot of a lot of uh, when I have been looking for work, a lot of scrambling. How do I explain why I went from this to this? You know, there's not that clear clear line through. Um, yeah. uh, let, but let's. Uh, I want to hit on something here because you're 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 going around something that I think is like really really important and very specifically like we're looking at people who are just like, oh, I just want to get this idea over the finish line and I can't handle it. Now, you're in a different world because sometimes you have to wait months. <laughs> sometimes you, you know, and there's this vagueness, like, oh, we're interested, but you're not getting that like 80% there, 60% there. What wisdom do you have? And I don't even mean about moving the idea forward, but about surviving when you can't just move something instantly. What can you share with, about your discipline of being able to stay in the game despite the inability to just push something forward? I wish I could just develop something with my partner, film it and get it on there and people decide by either clicking or not clicking on it or watching or not watching it. Because that doesn't happen, I had the outlet of no echo. Mm-hmm. It feeds that need to create and have it out in the world. I am not the kind of person that wants to paint something and just hang it on my, on my wall. I want to share it with the world. Is that ego because I want people to, to see it or read it? Maybe. That's okay. Mm-hmm. So I have survived the frustration of trying to get that TV stuff happening. I've survived it. Well, outside of you know su- my wife supporting and, and being really great and, you know, friends and family and having people who have done huge things in television saying, you guys are onto something great here Mm -hmm. or having something at a network right now that's in some kind of development stage that's told us you are onto something fine. Mm -hmm. But if it weren't for the outlet of no echo and and being able to do that, I, I, I don't know if I'd be able to. Okay. I want to, I want to capture this. I, I believe this is like one of the most important lessons um, for people who aren't necessarily from the punk scene, but are part of this like frustration of trying to move an idea forward. So I see people day in, day out, just getting frustrated. And I, I use the term burnt out where they just feel like ah, I'm putting so much effort into this. I'm putting so much of my heart or soul and it can just be like sidetracked by anything basically like almost anything so i'm putting everything i've got into making this thing happen but any little thing can shake the cart and that burnout state that people get into and one of the things i talk a lot about with people is getting meaningful results in other places of their life to take the edge off 
And this is why I recommend to people who are like in, a, in their professional career and they're a little bit further on. So they're past like the early like excitement of just like, oh, I have like a career I'm developing. But you get more into like the high stakes part of it where you're like, hey, I, I want to build something that lasts, that makes a difference, that matters. And that deep, that bone deep weariness that comes from that when you get pushed off. When I talk about meaningful results, I'll give you an example. I was never ever as a, as a kid, like someone that was like into like running or cycling or anything. Like I rode my BMX around or, or whatever. But when I got into like the legit business world and, and I was like building a business and like really focused on it and it was more of long-term plays, I would get major, major anxiety about things not happening and not happening on the schedule that I was used to things happening with my punk band where I'd get that, like, I knew I could like push things through. So what I started doing was running and cycling. And it was that idea that I could create meaningful results. So when I say results, I don't mean like results, like firing off 50 emails. I mean, doing something that you can control that matters to you and then getting better at it and doing things on a bigger level. So I always had bands and record labels that I ran and all that. But when that kind of slowed down in my life, running and cycling, I know that I could always get better at running. I know I could always get better at cycling. And I started measuring these things. And the, the satisfaction I got out of getting to a new height with those things took the edge off of the inertia I felt about being like kind of stuck in this longer process of getting to execution. And I'm hearing that in your story that like the offset here for you is no echo. No echo gives you that sense of like, I can just get an idea and execute on that takes the edge off and it lets me stay in my seat for the longer play um, with Fascination Street. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. It is, uh, even for me, even better than playing in a band. I get asked that all the time. Do you ever want to play in a band again? Do you ever want to uh, start a project again? Do you? And I, sometimes I'll have that feeling like, yeah, that'd be fun. But then I think about, oh, but I got to deal with three other people or four other people and their schedules and their, are they as interested as I am that day? And then I go back, nah. Let me just do, do no echo. And even if it was just, if I was the only person doing it and there was no other contributors, I could still do it and I can control it. I can push, publish, I can schedule. It is, uh, it is the outlet for that. Mm -hmm. I've always had an outlet since I started playing in bands at like 14. There's always been either a band or a zine or, or both. Or when I wasn't, um, when I moved here I, to LA uh, for, for a time, I was working again at record labels, but I was also freelance writing. So I was still writing for, you know, for outlets, getting paid to write uh, about music. So always creating. And it's completely these days about it's the outlet to do something and I don't have to rely on anyone else. And there are very, there, there's nothing else I can think of where in my life right now where that's the case, nothing else. Because even with my kids, they talk back, they don't want to do it. <laughs> they, you know, they fight me at every turn. They're very, you know, eight and five years old. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's the only thing that doesn't talk back. And I could, uh, not joking, it's really just idea, do it, it's out. Mm -hmm. How refreshing. That is, is I can't put into words. It's the yeah. only reason. Well, the reason is it's, it's music. Music is always a reason for me, but mm -hmm. it is the, the fact that you can just do it and not rely on anyone is so big to me. And it's yeah. uh, been a huge uh, part of, of my um, being able to survive mentally throughout this, and especially this year. Yeah. So I, 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 I got to hit on this uh, as we're heading towards the end of the interview, because this is so important. When people are getting to mid to late career, we're typically involved in bigger things, bigger plays. You know, we're either we're running our own companies or we're, we're getting into more senior roles in organizations we work in, or we're, you know, we're at a space where we're going to stay, but we're kind of thinking like, what's my legacy here? And I hear this story all the time. I'm just frustrated. I'm burnt out. Like the system is killing me. And even if you're an independent person, like, so like I've, I've got my own company, you've got your own company, but I'm still at the mercy of like big systems. And it can be really tough when I'm building business. And the, the play that I always talk about is like, listen, you can't take shortcuts here. 
Don't ask for permission. Go in, figure out your own thing, blaze your own trail, all of that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you're going to get stuck with something. And it could be like a procurement person in an organization or whether or not they're going to pay you or whatever like weird system thing. And you need to be able to do that. You can't screw up at that point. So what you need to do is have meaningful results somewhere else in your life. For some people, it's playing in a band. Other people, it's doing a zine or doing something like No Echo. For some people, it's about doing physical sports or, or whatever it is. The piece that matters, though, is meaningful results in some other place in your life pay off the emotional labor that's involved with doing the bigger plays career-wise. And if you can find that thing, and if you can make that thing work for you, you can handle the grind in perpetuity to get to those bigger long-term goals. And I believe like what you just said there really, like as soon as you said it, I was like, damn, that's it exactly. So as we're closing off though, man, I, I, got, a, I got three questions for you. But before we go into those questions, is there anything that you want to add in that you think is important for this conversation around moving from that idea space to the execution space? When you're starting, to, when you start something, it, I'm back to this, this thing I've been saying, I say this all the time to people in the beginning of a project, get good at it, get better at it. And you will don't be bogged down by analytics. People will show up if it's good and the social media, the, the hashtags and all of that, I guess is important. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's the content, 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 content is king. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. Don't be so worried about the analytics, about how many people are clicking, how many people are viewing, how many streams. That comes later. Worry about that. Absolutely. And if you're doing something for a long time and, and nothing's happening on that end, it, it, the world is telling you something usually. <laughs> so then, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that. Do something else. But in the beginning, it is really tough to have an audience to, to, uh, for any, any kind of, especially now it, it is, I can't tell you how many people reach out to me about their new podcast. It's almost like podcasts now are bands. People are starting them. It's exciting. I fucking love it. I love it. And they're getting better and the audio quality is getting better. And the graphics that they use, and they're 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 getting their right graphic identity, which is great. You know, we didn't see that back in the day as strongly as we do now. People are aware of it. That's great. That's great. But the content that that graphic is driving is the most important thing. And you get better at it the more you do it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I love it. All right. So let's kick it, man. You know, I'm going to ask you some some music questions here. Okay. Being in New York, dude, what is the greatest early 80s EP from New York Hardcore? You can only choose one. Early 80s EP. EP, not LP. EP. Honest answer, and it's, it's something that uh, the answer is, I didn't think about this record till maybe the last 10 years, and that's the abused record. When I first got into hardcore, it was through metal, like a lot of people my age. And The Abuse wasn't a, a, a band or a record that was talked about a lot, at least in my circles. It really wasn't. It was almost like Cro-Mags and Agnostic Front was the beginning of hardcore or uh, Uniform Choice or something. When we didn't know about The Mob or The Abused or, you know, Heart Attack, at least speaking for the people I knew, we didn't. But I heard the abuse record since, definitely since living in LA. And I think that is just encapsulates just the attitude of New York. You could almost smell New York back then. I remember getting on the subway as a kid and it would smell like piss. I remember being on the subway and you would see people walk in and you could see they had a knife on them, you know, on their side of their belt. Uh, I remember, you know, people clutching their, their, their grocery bags walking down the street. I remember that in New York. And that abused record smells, feels, sounds like that. But again, that wouldn't have been my answer when I was a kid. That's more just the last 10 years or so through the internet and through just, you know, record collecting friends who collect that know that abused record is, is coveted. 
and it is really a special record. Yeah, yeah, that's a great answer. Okay, second question. Age of Quarrel or Best Wishes? As much as, as I love both Best Wishes and Age of Quarrel, they're very different bands, even though they have the same name. They're, they're both, they're very different bands. You have different singers for one. As much as I love both of them, Age of Quarrel is perfection. John Joseph has all these insane kind of things about his outlook on things. You know, he believes in chemtrails or whatever he believes in. I, whatever. You know, if we're going to worry about what musicians think about in their everyday life, then I wouldn't listen to music because there's so much yeah. shit I can get hung up on. Yeah. Uh, Stone Roses being a, a recent example with what Ian said from Stone Roses. Anyway, Age of Quarrel, his vocals on that are perfection. It's almost like the guy from the corner where I grew up in Queens who sold weed and was a, a, a numbers guy, a bookie, you know, who would see people on the street. Hey, the fuck's going out the Mets? Hey, ah, fuck those guys. It was almost like that guy was put into a vocal booth and given a sheet of lyrics and just started screaming. It's New York to its core, the vocals on that record, the attitude. The cover is phenomenal. The back photo of, of, of the dudes just hanging out there, one of them uh, looks like he's in the monkeys. Then one guy looks like he just walked off uh, a schoolyard in, in Jackson Heights where he just robbed someone. And one guy looks like he hangs out with the Beastie Boys. It's just a random collection of dudes in, a, in, in his photo that makes no sense, yet you hear this record and it's just pure, pure energy, anger, and inspiring, even at the same time, bizarrely. But the vocals really nail it for me. John Joseph's vocals on Age of Coral are perfection, quintessential New York hardcore. All right, last question. What's the one thing that growing up in the punk DIY metal scene, like any of those things, what's the one thing that you believe has most benefited you as a professional? The best thing I've gotten out of hardcore, metal, whatever, anything I've been involved with, either playing in a band, doing a zine, working at a record label, marketing companies, all related to music, and specifically that kind of music, underground music, is the DIY spirit. Doing it on your own, whenever you want, and not using excuses, just what are the tools, the very bare minimum tools I need? And in the, in the no echo sense, it would be some kind of blogging platform. And once I learn how to use that, which is very easy to do these days, there's no excuse around that, I don't care, if you're not technical, that's a bunch of nonsense. You could sit there and figure it out. Once you figure that out, you could publish as much as you want and get people around the world, rich, poor, doesn't matter. They can read or watch something that you created. That comes from hardcore mostly. I wouldn't even say metal as much because metal, the thing with metal, a lot of the metal... Um, essence, at least when I was a kid in the late 80s, it was bigger. It was larger than life. It was Iron Maiden. It was backdrops. It was, it was explosions at the concerts. It was these unbelievable, beautifully painted album covers. Very cool. And I still love that shit. But hardcore looked photocopied and rough and not perfect. Well, if that can be done, then I can do it. And I can maybe even do it better. So that is what I've gained from hardcore punk that has that I've used for the rest of my life and I always will. It's that I don't need to wait around for a committee to tell me it's okay. I don't need to wait around for a budget. I don't need to wait around for other people that even are interested in doing it with me. I'm going to do it and I'm going to keep on doing it. It's going to get better and better and it's going to grow in terms of how much content is now in the bank you know, how many stories are filed. So when someone does discover it, let's say somebody is on Facebook and they post, hey, man, I haven't thought about the Chromax since high school. I used to love the Chromax. Check out this article with the, the singer. They post a link. One of their friends clicks on that link and goes, fuck, this is cool. What else do they have on this site? That's why I tell people, build the content. Continuously get that, get that content Get the numbers up. 
get the the posts up, get the episodes up. Because when you find someone, when someone finds your your the medium, the site or the podcast, they're going to want to go backwards. And say, what else do they have going on here? And the more you have there, the more they're like, man, I'm going to bookmark this site or I'm going to save it or I'm going to tell other people about the site. I get people who email me. I had an email a week ago or a little bit over that from Greece, some random guy. I, it was a long email. I'm like, this is going to be a pitch. It's going to be, I love this site. It's great. And then at the end, it's going to be, by the way, check out my band. And it wasn't. It was at the end, it was keep on doing what you're doing. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate it. And it sounds corny. It might be ego, but that made me feel so good. We appreciate it. Because then I know I'm doing something right. Heck yeah, man. I, I love that. Uh, I'd say that uh, punk and hardcore, uh, without that, I don't even know. I don't even know where I'd be in my life. You know, I'll never forget. I remember the, the In Effect video uh, that had the three bands. I remember Siv talking, Siv from Gorilla Biscuits. It's like, oh, what would you be doing if, you, if it wasn't for hardcore? He's like, I don't know. I'd be like driving a truck. And I always think, and of course, driving a truck is a totally great, great thing for you to do. It's not a, a comment there. But that idea that like punk and hardcore, it just kind of, it gives you this sense of like, oh, whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. And I'm just going to make it happen. And uh, it's changed lives all over the world, and we'll continue to do that. And of course, No Echo is a part of that. So, Carlos, thank you so much for your time today. This was a great conversation. Um, where can we find more about Fascination Street Films? Uh, it's fascinationstreetfilms.com. Uh, and then, you know, there's some, some of the kind of examples of stuff we've done, and there's this um, kind of highlight reel. Unfortunately, the way it works is when you're developing stuff and you're pitching it, you don't put it out for the public to see because someone could take the idea, blah, blah, blah. So I can't share those, which is really sucky because those are the ones I'm really excited about. But uh, yeah, fascinationstreetfilms.com and then noecho.net, you know, and, and uh, if you want to contribute and you want to get involved, and even if it's not writing, it's some other way, then let me know. We can figure it out. And I, I value that. I, I love when people reach out. Heck yeah. All right, everyone, as we're wrapping up, I just want to say this, that no matter what, whatever minutia is between you and your goal, stay the course. Follow some of these ideas that you heard from Carlos here, who's someone who really lives that. And when you get to those pinch points where you're like, oh God, the frustration, then find meaningful results somewhere else. It will take the edge off. It will energize. It will give you that momentum. Um, so for both Carlos and I and everyone over at Cadence, if you got an idea, go for it. Don't wait for permission. Push through. You're going to get there. And with that, I will see you in the outro. Dave, drop the beat. You know, that was such a fun episode. And part of what I loved about it is just like the real New Yorker that's part of Carlos. Uh, I love when he was talking about the... Uh, abused record and talking about how it like smells like new york like yeah man like i am with you i think that's so cool um what an interesting conversation i especially love the idea of you know when something gets stuck it's stuck and if it's a waiting game it's a waiting game but you can't blow it up you can't get impatient and just pull the ripcord so in that kind of agonizing space you got to find meaningful results somewhere else and that's something i've got to encourage people to do there are some things that just slow down because that's the system. Yes, can we improve the system over time? But in that moment where you've got that thing waiting, don't short yourself by blowing it up. Don't short yourself by giving up. Stay the course, but take the edge off by doing something else that gives you meaning, that allows you to get those quick wins. So thanks so much, Carlos, for being a part of this. Uh, such a cool guy, very inspirational story. And I really encourage you, A, check out Fascination Street Films, really interesting, cool stuff. And then No Echo, which is, again, like this awesome music website that just two people were like, oh, let's make this happen. And here it is. And now it's become such a cornerstone of a music scene that hundreds of thousands of people check out. So if you got a dream, go after it. If there's something you believe in, push for it. If it gets painful, wait it out. You're going to be able to do it. Listen to Perseverance by Hatebreed, and that's going to give you that real energy to get there. At the end of the day, you'll get it over the line if you take care of yourself 
you think it through, and you stay true to your belief. All right, everyone, we will see you next time on One Step Beyond. One.